Now, one of the best ways that we can learn how to pray is by watching other people pray. You know, specifically, I remember watching somebody whose prayer life that you want to imitate and you want to learn how to pray like they do. Now, I can remember a youth leader in my life who I would love um, to listen to them pray. I would hang on every single word and I would just wish that I could pray like they did. Remember, I had one professor in seminary who every time he prayed, it was like you could just feel and sense the love for God that he had. And so as I would listen to them, I would remember just trying to learn from their prayers. And I would write down words or phrases that they would use that I hadn't heard others say. I would pay attention to the way that they would refer to or quote the scriptures. I would even notice like, okay, well, how do they physically move when they're praying? Why do they, he's doing that. And you know, I wouldn't watch them so that I could just copy them and, you know, repeat it exactly. But I wanted to learn from them so that I could learn how to pray too, like they did. This morning as we read Luke 18 verses 1 through 14, we're going to see two people whose prayer life I think that we should emulate. And so as we read, as we study the prayers of a widow and of a tax collector, I want you to listen and to look at them. We're going to pay attention to the words that they use and how it is that they pray so that we can learn how to pray like them too. So if you have a Bible and if you're able, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word in Luke 18, starting in verse 1 all the way to 14. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And he also told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would teach us how to pray, um, that you would help us learn from the prayers of this widow, from the prayers of this tax collector, so that our prayer lives can be better and we can learn to pray how you have taught us. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Should be seated. If you're taking notes, we only got two points this morning. Um, but our first point is that we need to pray without losing heart. 
We need to pray without losing heart. You know, Christians, we can often hear that phrase, right, that we should pray without ceasing. And it can create this image as if we need to spend 24-7 in prayer. You know, we think about it like Jesus is trying to fill up our calendar and spend up all of our free time and every free moment praying. But here when Jesus tells us that we always ought to pray, He means something slightly differently. I think it's important for us to see this because otherwise we can start to beat ourselves up because, you know, oh, I've been drifting off for 30 seconds. I haven't been praying. I haven't been doing what Jesus asks. Well, the point isn't that we're just supposed to pray every single moment, that we should be continually in prayer. The point here is that we're not to quit praying because we're discouraged. In verse 1, he says, he tells them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's that we're to continue praying without losing heart or without giving up. There's a difference between your prayers that get interrupted by your work because you have to take care of something, your prayers are interrupted because your children come up and ask you for food and or other physical needs, and there's a difference between those prayers and then prayers that get interrupted because you decide, you know, I just don't think I want to pray for that anymore, or prayers that cease because I just, I can't bear to pray and ask God about that again and have Him say no. Jesus tells us, don't stop praying because you've lost heart. Don't quit praying in the night just because it's dark. Don't stop praying just because you've asked for that thing for months. We are to pray without losing heart. And he tells us a parable about a judge and a widow, and these two are supposed to teach us how we do this. In verse 2, he says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared man or neither feared God nor respected man. So this judge is like the antithesis of everything a judge should be especially in Israel. This is the kind of judge that you would dread having to go before and hear your case. This kind of judge that rumors all around the village would be spreading about his corruption and his behavior. Because this judge doesn't fear God at all. He's not a follower of God. He's not righteous. He doesn't care about God or God's laws. He behaves as if there is no ultimate judge or no authority higher than himself, which is very dangerous. Not only does he not care about God, he doesn't care about other people either. There'll be those who will tell you, oh, you know, it's fine. You don't really have to, you know, believe in any kind of God or any kind of beliefs at all to be a moral person. Well, you can't make that argument about this man here because he does not care about God and he doesn't care about other people at all. He doesn't view them as anything other than just pawns that he can use. There's nothing admirable in him. He has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. So that's our first character. That's the judge. Now we look at the widow. Um, verse 3, there was a widow in that city of this judge who kept coming to him over and over saying, give me justice against my adversary. There's a widow who needs justice. You got to love how God, and especially in the gospel of Luke, um, elevates and uses women often as examples and especially uses widows. It says that this widow, this woman, is who we should be like and who we should pray like. Now, we don't get all the details of her case. They're not really important to the story. The main idea is that somebody is wronging her. Someone is taking advantage of her situation. Someone is oppressing her. Now, widows, especially in this time period, they are vulnerable. Okay? They don't have any way to provide for themselves other than to beg or to rely on the mercy and grace of others. If they don't have a family that's going to let them live with them and feed them, then they have nobody. So somebody could have been taking all of her husband's property and money that could have been, should have been hers, and now it's theirs. 
Someone could have been cheating her or abusing her or keeping her from being able to eat. We don't know what was going on because there is no end to the way that widows could be taken advantage of. But she clearly has nobody else that she can turn to if this judge is her only hope for justice. If this is the only place that she can go to for relief. She must have exhausted all her other options. Should tell you how desperate her situation is. And predictably, the judge, who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, says, no, nah, no thanks. He doesn't care at all for her plight. He doesn't want to help her in her suffering, doesn't see any advantage in it for himself. And yet, how does she respond? She doesn't give up. She doesn't lose heart. She continues coming up to that same judge over and over and over again, asking Give me justice over my adversary. Verse 4, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. The judge gives in. Okay, he answers the widow's cry and her prayer, and he doesn't do so because she has convinced him of her cause. Okay, he doesn't do so because he's had a change of heart. He doesn't do so because now he's come to like and respect this widow. He doesn't do so because he's had some great conversion and religious experience and now it's all been changed and it's going to be happy. He does so for one reason. I'm going to do it so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. He just wants to be left alone. Listening to her prayers to him, it feels like getting beaten up. Okay, it's, kind of the, it's the connotation here of getting a black eye because she just keeps punching him in the face is what it feels like. He doesn't care about her at all. He is just annoyed by her, and he never wants to see her again because her cause doesn't matter to him whatsoever. But her prayers, her cry for justice gets answered and delivered. Why Jesus tells this story is he's saying, okay, if the unrighteous and if the ungodly and those who don't respect people at all can answer and respond in this way, how much more will God answer to your prayers if we pray without losing heart? Verse 7, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Is our God not more righteous than this judge? Is our God not a God of justice? Is our God not a fair and true judge? And we mean so much more to God than this widow meant to this guy. So he says, will God not give justice to his elect? He intentionally refers to believers as elect. Often scriptures will do this or will refer um, to those who are followers of him as elect, as they are those who are chosen by God, not because of how awesome they were, not because of how worthy and deserving, or not just because God flipped a coin and we got lucky, but because of God's intentional love for us. Every time Scripture says elect, some people, you know, we might want to start debating and get off track and wonder, well, why does God elect some? Why does He not elect others? None of that is Jesus' point here, so it's not going to be my point either. I'm going to resist. But His point is, we are not nobodies to God. His point is that we are not an annoyance. This widow meant nothing to the judge whatsoever. You do not mean nothing to God, that you have been chosen by Him that He wants you in His family, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the King on purpose, not just because we snuck in and crashed the party. 
And if God wants us in His family, if He has chosen us to be His, doesn't He want us to pray to Him and to ask Him for things? Is He not disposed to listen to our cry and to our petitions? And so we are to pray without losing heart, knowing God loves us, that He chose us as His, that He wants to listen to us pray, that He cares about what we have to say. In verse 8, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Now, when He says that He's going to give them justice speedily, okay, it doesn't mean that He's going to give it to us as soon as we ask. Right? And we know that one, unfortunately. And it doesn't mean that your prayer, having not been answered, doesn't mean that you haven't quite figured out the correct way to pray. And if you just get the wording right, or if you just pray for you know, seven days in a row, God's going to give it to you. What it does mean, I think, is that God's prayer or His answer won't be delayed because He doesn't care about us. It won't be delayed because He's closing His ears and He's ignoring you. The judge doesn't answer the woman's prayer because He doesn't care about anybody. And it's only after He's been beaten up that He finally gives in. But God will respond. And God is listening to our voice the very first time that we speak. And one day when Jesus returns, that answer will come, and it will come all at once when true justice reigns. But I think we also need to see, too, what the widow was asking and praying for. Because there are times people can misuse this and misunderstand it. We can think that, okay, so if I want something from God, I just need to pray enough and just pray without giving up, and then He's going to give it to me. And so that's what you should do if you just keep praying for a million dollars, and you just don't give up. Eventually, God will give it. Just don't give up. Don't lose heart and really believe. Okay, that's not what he's saying here because what is the widow praying for? She's praying for justice. She's praying for God to do what is right, to praying for God to act in accordance to his character. And so those are the kind of prayers that we're supposed to pray. Those are the kind of prayers that we're supposed to pray without giving up because we should know and believe and can trust that those are the prayers God will answer. He might not answer until Jesus returns, but that answer is coming. So it's not, you know, don't give up in praying for whatever it is you want, but don't give up in praying for what you know that God wants. Because He will come back. But practically, how can we do that? How can we pray without losing heart? I think we have to keep praying like this widow every single day, even when we don't feel like it. I mean, how do you think the widow felt every day? Do you think she was losing faith? Do you think every day she would, came in sure, oh, I bet this time he'll say yes. He's got to say yes today. I'm sure there were days she doubted. I'm sure there were days it felt like a total waste of time. But yet every day she came, she saw the judge, and she knocked, and she made her petition. So it should be with our prayers as well. We should pray without giving up, praying over and over and over. And not losing heart is not about our emotions or our feelings. It doesn't mean stop doubting. It's about every single day getting on your knees again to ask God, to asking Him on the days even when we're angry, to coming to Him again on the days that we're not even sure if He's real or if He's listening, to asking again even when it feels like pulling teeth and like our heart isn't in it and our mouth is speaking and we don't even know what we're saying, that we're praying even when our heart feels empty, we pray even when it feels cold, but we just don't stop and we just keep asking. That's what I think it means to pray without losing heart, is to just not stop. To keep your feet moving even if your mind doesn't know where you're going. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? When Jesus returns, will you still be praying? 
When he comes back, will you still be asking for justice or will you have given up? Well, you've stopped praying because you're not sure that it's worth it. And we all know how good it can feel um, when something you've been praying for finally gets answered and God says yes. Just imagine how good it will feel on the day that Jesus returns and your prayers are answered. And how much better will it feel if on that day you've been praying for it and you see it. We should strive to be that faithful so that when he returns, he will find us continually praying that he would come and praying that his justice would reign. So pray without losing heart. Pray so that when Jesus returns, he will see our faith. It's point number one, our, our second one. So we are to pray without pride. We pray without losing heart, and we also need to pray without pride. Our prayers, they don't just need to be continuous and praying without giving up. We also need to pray without pride. They need to be focused, really, on how do our prayers sound to God, not how do our prayers sound to other people around us. This is a trap we can all fall into, isn't it? Um, Just ask somebody to pray out loud in front of other people, and suddenly you will discover how much, you know, we all kind of care about what other people think. You know, we're not so sure that our prayers are good enough to be heard by somebody else. You know, if you ask somebody, you notice, because I can tend to do this at different points, and people's eyes can get really big. What do you mean pray in front of people? And I get nervous. Oh, no, I, I can't do that. And now, I, I totally understand um, getting nervous to speak in front of people. Um, believe me, even though this is kind of what I do, I, I get it. But I think that at least part of our hesitancy here when it comes to this is our own pride. Part of our hesitation is wondering, well, what will other people think? I don't think my prayers are that good. But our focus shouldn't be on, well, what are other people going to think? Our focus should be on, what is God going to think of my prayers? Who cares what other people think? And Jesus is going to tell us a story about two people whose prayers are made in public where everybody can hear them. And there's one person who's very concerned what other people think, and there's another person who's not. The person whose prayers are more acceptable isn't the religious leader, but the dirty sinner. Verse 9, he told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. Some of these people really think they have it all together. Some of the people listening to Jesus think that, you know, they're the true righteous followers of God, and this whole world is going crazy. Can you believe how bad it is today? Oof. So people out there who are really disobedient and not following God and they're not doing the right thing, but man, it's a good thing we have the right values here. And so to those people, Jesus has something to say. Jesus tells them the story in verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. Two men are, they're going to the temple. They're going to God's house to pray and to make petitions before him. This is not just their private prayers at home. This is their prayers on the corporate gathering of God's people. These are the prayers you would overhear at church. One of them is the Pharisee and one of them is the tax collector. As Christians today, especially as we've been reading through the Gospels, we can view the Pharisees in a negative light. To the Jews, to the people listening, the Pharisees were their heroes. They were like the celebrity preachers. They were the most righteous people in town. They were the people who you expected to have awesome prayers. You would want to listen to them pray because they knew how to and they probably taught you how to pray. And the tax collectors were considered evil people because of how much they stole from everyone else and how dishonest and corrupt they were. They were the lowest of the low. Instead of a tax collector, don't just think of the IRS. Picture somebody who owns a brothel or somebody who sells drugs. 
That's the way that they would view these people. And 11, the Pharisee standing by himself, it could even be translated talking to himself as if he's not really praying to God, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. At first we see this prayer. Um, it's really kind of like the pastor's prayer is what you would imagine. Normally, his prayer should be the one that we want to imitate. But you notice immediately it says he's standing by himself. Okay, he wants everyone to see, and he's kind of being removed, and wants everyone to know that these are his words and his prayers. He's removed himself from anybody because he's not praying with them. He's not praying with the church. He's praying on his own. I think even the Pharisees' actions, the way Jesus tells their stories often, like at the dinner party, they're all fighting, member for the best seats. I think this kind of is implying here too, he's trying to stand in a place of honor where everyone will notice him. And his prayer starts good. He does start by thanking God. Thankfulness is always a good place to start and begin your prayers with. Um, before you ask God for something, to thank him for, you know, how he's blessed you. Uh, but it very quickly goes downhill right after, I thank you. God, I thank you. Oh, good. He should have started there, but he doesn't. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank God I'm so much better than all the people around me. It even points to the tax collector in the story, and especially that guy. Thank you that I'm not like him. And then he thanks God for all of his righteous actions. Okay, thank God for all the extra fasting that I do twice a week just for you. I know we only have to fast on the holy days, but I fast all the time. And thank God for all the ways that you've blessed me because I tithe. I don't just tithe out of my income. I tithe out of everything that I've been given. Every single Christmas gift, I take a tenth of it and I bring it to the temple. Thank you. Well, thank God that we never pray like this, huh? Thank God. I'm so glad we're not like this Pharisee. You know, praise God, we're so humble, and we would never pray in such a manner as this person. Do you see how easy it is to let pride slip in? Very quickly, all of us did as we were here. We think, what a knucklehead. Who would do this? I have never prayed this way. Oop, you just did. Right, as soon as we shake our head at him, we're committing the same sin that he was. And I think we print, tend to pray this way as well. Our prayers just sound a little different. We use different words, but we have a lot of the same pride. Okay, we can pray things like, oh, Lord, help our nation and our leaders. Uh, our world is just so lost. We, we just need better leaders that are Christians like me. So, oh, God, please help my sister. She's just so lost. She just needs your help. She's made such bad choices in her life. And as she's having to pay all these consequences, you know, not like me, of course, but really, I just wish that you would help her. You see, we might not use those words at the end, but we can very quickly start praying as if we are so much better than others. Or we can just pray pridefully because we want to impress people. Oh, pastor did, you know, one of the elders asked me to pray on Wednesday. I'm going to use some big words to show people that, I, that I've been learning. I've been paying attention to the discipleship class. I want to pray some scriptures just to show people that I've memorized them so that they can see it. Or I'm going to pray longer. I'm worried, well, my prayer might be too short. People might be impressed. I'm just going to keep praying for longer. That's what people do if they're really serious. Whenever we start praying with other people in mind, um, whenever we're trying to impress people with how spiritual we are or how good at praying we are, we've already lost it. Now you're praying with pride. Instead, we are to pray like the tax collector in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Again, before we even get to the words of his prayer, we see his posture. We see a significant difference just in the way that they stand. The Pharisees trying to stand alone in a place of honor and prominence. Tax collector is also kind of trying to stand alone, but he's far removed from everybody out of shame. It's like he's trying to stay out of sight in the back corner so nobody notices he's even here. And his eyes aren't in the right place either. I don't think it's just showing his humility that his eyes um, are not lifted up to heaven, but you're supposed to lift your eyes up to heaven when you pray. Normally, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to look and acknowledge for them that you're looking at God as you pray to Him. And even when they were um, in exile, or if you're not in the temple, not in Jerusalem, you're supposed to lift your eyes and look towards the temple so that you can be reminded and be acting physically as if you were praying and looking towards God. But he can't do that even though he's standing in the room of where he's supposed to be. He can barely bring himself to the right place. And we see it in his physical actions. He's just beating his breast. It's a, a physical action to show his lament and his agony. Now, it might not seem that abnormal um, to us, but it would have been really strange for those in the temple to see somebody standing in the corner just hitting themselves in the chest over and over. That's not how people normally pray. It's an action meant to show extreme grief. It's what the crowds are going to do in Luke 23 after Jesus dies and the earthquake comes and they realize that they killed the Messiah. They will beat their breasts and cry out. I also think, I mean, it would just be strange, right? If an elder came up um, to lead our prayer after our call to worship and they just started weeping and crying. It would make us go, oh, wait, this is different. That's not what we normally do. Might make some of us feel uncomfortable. Tax collector doesn't care what makes other people uncomfortable. Tax collector doesn't care what anyone thinks. I wonder, oh, I wonder what's going on in his life. There must be something serious. He doesn't care at all because he's not looking at them. He's praying to God. We need to be like that as well. We need to pray without worrying about others. We need to pray without worrying how our prayers sound, how good they are, if we pronounce words correctly. If we get it right, we should pray as if God is the only person who can hear us. And we see how he prays. He just asks for mercy. It's the only thing he asks for. And he acknowledges his state, says, I am a sinner. He doesn't try to justify himself. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame other people for why he's made the choices he's made or the circumstances he's found himself in. He just acknowledges his own sin his own responsibility. And he just asks God for mercy. He doesn't ask God for justice, as if he deserves something. He knows, God, I don't deserve anything other than your punishment. And he begs for mercy. Please give me what I do not deserve and what I have no standing to ask for. But because he asks for mercy, he finds it. And if you've ever heard somebody pray, and thought, ah, I don't know if I can pray like that. I just don't think I pray very good. And to them, my prayers, they're pathetic. Um, they just feel so empty. The tax collector's prayers, they're for you. It's meant to be a reminder that what God wants is a humble heart. He really doesn't care about all our words. You could quote the whole Bible to God in prayers. But if you're just doing that pridefully, it doesn't mean anything. He hears the prayers that other people might not be very impressed with, and they might judge. They might even want to come up and correct you because you didn't do it the right way. Now, no, we don't say amen like that. You need to say it this way. 
God hears our prayers when they're humble and when they're given with the right heart. Even if you don't do it how other people might. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God hears the tax collector's prayer and he answers it. He receives mercy and he is justified. He is made and declared righteous before God. Not because of how much money he's donated to the temple, not because of his bi-weekly fasts, but because he just humbly asks for mercy. And Jesus gives us the principle that when we try to exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. But those who pray humble prayers will be exalted. It's an encouragement to us. I think we've got to pray humble prayers. And humble prayers have a lot more to do with our hearts than they do with the words. It's everything to do with our attitude. Now, I don't think this means that our words don't matter at all. I don't want to give that impression as if you can just pray anything you want and it doesn't have any significance. I'm praying the right words, it does matter a great deal. But the heart of our prayer matters way more. Because you can pray the wrong words with the right heart and God will hear it. You can pray the right words with the wrong heart and God won't. doesn't mean that the words don't matter, but the heart matters the most. And then we can figure out the rest. God will teach you. It's better to pray a bad prayer humbly than a sincere, than a, and sincerely than a theologically rich prayer with a prideful heart. Now, a really good way, you might not like this, and that's okay, um, give you a practical way you can practice um, humility and learning to be humble in your prayers. Uh, just force yourself to pray in front of other people. Not because public prayer is better than private prayer, uh, but because when we pray in public, I think it forces us to notice how much we really do care about what people think. Um, that we do care, that we don't want to embarrass ourselves, don't want to say the wrong thing. We get a lot of opportunities to practice good and humble public prayers every single Wednesday. We gather together, we share our prayer requests, um, and then we pray for one another. And the elders always ask, hey, anybody who wants to pray, you can. Now, I know it can be nerve-wracking, especially if you've never done it. I'm not saying you have to do it on Wednesday, but it'd be good to practice praying publicly somewhere. I promise you when we're sitting there, we're not just judging everybody's prayers, okay? I don't get together with the elders afterwards and grade them about how good their prayers were. Say, okay, you know, that's okay. You, you really, you prayed for that three times. You need to mix it up. We got to keep this exciting, okay? I don't sit down, you know, and pull somebody and say, you know, your prayer was good, but you said Jesus' name like six times. Let's pull that down to four. We really only need, you know, once, but, you know, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll get there. Okay, I'm not going to tell you, wow, you didn't quote enough scripture in your prayers. You really need to use some more verses, different names for God. You know, once you go look up some and throw those in there, that's a really great way to take your prayers to the next level. Um, no, you just need to pray. Just be honest. Pray what's on your heart. And if it's a 10-second prayer, great. The tax collector's prayer is a lot shorter than the Pharisees. God have mercy, I'm a sinner doesn't even say amen. He doesn't end right. How could he do that? And yet God hears it. Okay, genuine humble prayers are also too. They're not just good for you and for your soul. Um, they're good for us as a body. When we pray together, when we hear more than one person pray, it, it is good and encourages all of our souls, especially when they're sincere. And when I hear you pray, it encourages me. 
On the other side, too, we also have to be careful. There, there are many of us that just might need to, to push ourselves to pray, but there are some of us um, that have to be careful that we're not just praying publicly to impress one another. Because that's another version of pride that the Pharisee falls into. Another part of pride um, also would have been the tax collector refusing to pray because he was worried about how it looked to other people. If he was worried, well, I don't want people to know how bad I am, so I don't think I will. That's not humility. That's also pride. Um, the refusal to humble yourself is also pride. Or to pray without pride. And these prayers as well, I think they, they show us that Jesus is clearly, they remind us of the gospel. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is the only people who experience salvation and being justified are those who are humble and have faith. It's not the people with a long resume of their spiritual accomplishments and their works and look at everything I have done. As those who say, oh, Jesus, look at everything I've done. Please have mercy. Not look at all I've done. Be impressed. Our salvation, our deliverance, it comes by the grace of Jesus when we pray humble prayers. Now, maybe this morning you're like the tax collector and you don't even know how to pray. You've never done it. Just come to Jesus honestly with your imperfect, your stumbling words. Ask Him for mercy and you will find it always. Because all of us here have. And remember, those of us who are Christians, remember you're a Christian not because of your accomplishments or because of your works, but because of your faith and because one day you asked for mercy. Don't forget that you needed it. And you still do. So when you pray, don't come to Jesus with all the reason he needs to answer your prayers because you're so awesome. Just come humbly and ask for more grace from the God whose grace is never ending. And the God who loves to show grace to all who asks when they ask humbly. So this morning we see we need to pray without losing heart and we need to pray without pride. And that when we pray like the widow, when we pray like the tax collector, our prayers will be heard by God. So as we go into the rest of our week, let's pray. Let's pray without giving up, without stopping. Let's pray humbly and imperfectly, knowing that God will hear our prayers and act. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you would be merciful to us sinners. Be merciful to, to us who don't know how to pray. We wish that we could pray better. Would you encourage our faith and help us to pray without giving up? To pray without being discouraged by all that we see externally in the world and all that we feel internally in our own lives. Of all Jesus, we just we ask for mercy. We won't be able to learn how to pray unless you help us. Unless your Holy Spirit speaks through us. And unless you show us more of the grace that you do every day. We ask this in the name of Jesus. The name above all names. Amen. Would you stand as we worship our Savior in song one more time? Amen. Hear this benediction from 2 Corinthians 13. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Go in peace.